0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hope for Xavier's presentation of Xavier's Journey. My name is Samuel Hutchins. Mm -hmm. I'll be your host. And, of course, if everyone who has been listening uh, knows that this is a podcast that is about autism awareness, uh, one of the tools that is being used by our organization, uh, with the organization's name being uh, Hope for Xavier Foundation dot org. That is the website, uh, and it is named after my son. It is the namesake of the the uh, organization and the namesake of this uh and subject of this podcast, uh Xavier Duran Hutchins, my son. And uh we've been our way for a little while and some, you know, uh, again it's it's about events and things and a uh, planning that nature, you know, uh getting to know people and getting out and about and spreading the word about uh what it is that we do and what it is we trying to do and you know, trying to garner up help and uh support and monies and things of that nature. And but as I said, uh, a couple of episodes before you can go back and look at it because they're still available on Spotify as well as our anchor, who is uh, the host of who's uh, having me do this, who was allowing me to do this it, anyway. And as I said, uh, we had started with uh, something that I had come across uh, from the sunrise program. Not so it's called S O N R I S E sunrise program and uh and I, and it was talking about the seven uh no-nos of joining. Now, what we're going to redefine what joining is. We're well, not redefine, just explain to you what it, what it is exactly called joining uh when as it relates to a, a child with autism. Uh as a lot of people know, or you may not know, but uh autistic children tend to be very introverted and they do a lot of stuff by themselves. They entertain themselves and They kind of get into this little world of their own. But there are times and there are moments when they will allow you to join. What that means is they'll acknowledge your presence as long as you don't interrupt what it is that they're doing. And so in a lot of people, once they get that opening, what they'll do is that they'll do something that'll make them not welcome. You know, and and they'll Mm -hmm. inadvertently Mm -hmm. do it because you naturally want to uh connect with your child that has autism or whoever your loved one is with autism. But uh there's certain things that you may inadvertently be doing and not knowing that's that, that will cause that child to stop because when a child with autism uh or an adult with autism as you do you do find an opening to get in to get close to them, you, you have to recognize it. And you uh, have to understand that it may not always be there. But so when they ask you, so when you are joined, asked, you know, invited in their, in their own special way, they invite you it's uh, certain things that you should know that you shouldn't do once they've given you that opening. And uh, in the first episode, when in the first series I was telling you about, it was called Staring. And a lot of people, you know, when they'll see an autistic child or an or autistic adult do something, that'll amaze them the first thing they'll want to do is stare and and you're staring and because yes you are and some of the most amazing things they'll do because you wonder you know without the ability to do certain things that you know quote-unquote normal people can do how did they come to that conclusion the same conclusion that normal people will come to sometimes and you'll stare And they will know, and and they're very observant. They will notice that you're staring depending on how they feel about you and whatever rapport you've built up with them prior to that. uh, The staring will get you kicked out of the joining part with them, uh, uh, which is, and the joining part is your chance to connect with them. It's your chance to uh, enter into their world, so to speak. And they want you to be a part of that world, but they, but at the same time they got to know you, you know, because uh, tell you a quick story about Xavier and uh, his younger brother uh, Dante, uh, and Dante uh, would come around, and Xavier never engaged with any any, any 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 child. But when Dante was around, it was almost like he took possession of Dante. Xavier would grab Dante, basically and literally just pull him, you know, to be with him. And so when it, Dante would get with Xavier once xavier, once dante was in the room with xavier xavier uh didn't really pay him that much attention he just wanted dante around him but he wanted dante's presence because he was he was at that point dante because he's small he didn't know what he was doing he didn't understand about the joining part that was taking place it was an event that was taking place that it was a joining and what xavier was doing was like i say he wouldn't even once they were in his room xavier wouldn't acknowledge that he was there but he wanted him because it was something about Dante, his brother that he liked and he wanted there with him. And and, and from from what I can gather, I would just say it was just his presence of being there because Dante was a happy kid too. And he was, was crazy about Xavier, but Xavier wouldn't pay him any attention once he was in the room. But if someone entered that room and tried to take Dante with them, Xavier would pull him back wanting him back. And at that point, uh, what well, we didn't realize then and, and in reflection we look back now, Xavier was uh, Dante was joining and didn't know that he was joining so he was involuntarily joining but that was one of the things that that, that you don't want to do and, and like I said this is a recap from the first one is that it's the staring the whole time It, it and, and it doesn't really feel like you're watching a movie together does it uh, so once again joining rather than staring at your child, stare at what he's doing instead of looking at looking at your child every two seconds, really get involved with what they're doing. Remember when you're trying to prove you can mimic, you're getting involved with an activity that your child loves. So if Xavier would start clapping, you know, then we would start clapping. Then we would start clapping. If he started rocking back and forth, we would also rock back and forth. And, and the rapport was being built that way. And that was something that we had to come to understand later and, you know, and then when I'm reading this thing, again, from the Sunrise program, I take no credit for this. Again, this is something that I found over the Internet when I'm looking. I join, you know, every newsletter that I possibly can that may have something to do with autism. And I read it. And once I read it, you know, I, I, you know, make a judgment if it's the information that's worth passing along. And, and this seven part series is absolutely worth passing along, especially with someone who's just getting started and, and may not be knowing what to look for, especially when it comes to the, the joining part. But. Uh, staring. That was the one that we talked about the last time. The next one, the next one I want to talk about this, this uh, episode though, is called hovering. And and, you know, you see a lot of people who hover when they join and that's, that's, it's called a no, no, these, these are, these, no, these are called no-nos for joining. And like I said, the first one was staring and you, you know, and I just thought we just talked briefly about the staring part. Now hovering, then the hovering thing is, is kind of, uh kind of hard, kind of, it's it's not difficult, but it's kind of hard to explain, but I'm going to do my best right now. Uh, when you're hovering, that means, you know, when you see your child doing something or you see the your loved one doing something, your autistic loved one doing something, hovering takes place when you get, you know, just a little bit too close. I mean, we, we as human beings, we like our quote unquote personal space and we don't like our quote unquote personal space. To be violated, you know, about, you need, you know, you're standing too close. You're standing in my personal place. I know everybody's heard that before and you hear that. And one of the things, you, you know, you want your personal space. But when you see your child doing something, you know, and, and again, this is part of the joining, you know, and then again, it's about building the rapport and the trust and the relationship with your child when they want you to join more and more as they get more and more comfortable with you. And they know that you're not. They're trying to disrupt what it is that they're trying to do. And you may inadvertently be interrupted by doing something like being too close. Like they don't want you, if they don't, if they don't want you to get too close. A lot of times they'll just shut down and stop doing what it is they're doing. Be it be rocking, uh, walking or pacing or whatever they're doing, you know, rocking back and forth or doing something with their hands or flapping with their hands or something like that. Uh, they may want you to, you, you can do that at a distance, and if it catches their attention and they're still doing it, then you're still in, in in a pretty good position. But now if you get too close to them, you know, if they're if they're flapping their arms or rocking or, you know, making whatever noise and you're mimicking that noise. And if you get too close one of the ways you can tell that you've gotten too close is that they'll stop, you know, and when and that's their defense mechanism for stopping. You know, they just won't do it anymore and uh you'll sit there and you'll wonder you know what happened well this is letting you know this is what happened uh because you interrupted now you're no longer joining okay but you because them, you became an outside distraction for them and that's not what they want you to do Uh again all of these are communication skills that autistic children they naturally develop on their own mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. because in my case in my son's case like a lot of people know my son is non but my son can can read, he can communicate. Uh he types. Uh he'll cut something out of a newspaper. He 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 builds his own way of communicating what it is that he wants. And um he at a young age he was really, really into newspapers because I, I was a big newspaper guy. I got a newspaper every day. And one of the things he and I used to love to do was get the paper on Sunday morning. He and I both would sit up in bed and I would get he would always take the sales papers, uh the comic books, I mean the comics and, of course, the car advertisement. He's a big car fan, too, as well. That was one, that was one of the things that he would do. Uh, so, in saying that, and I'm just going to read off what it says, what uh, the Sunrise Service had to say about this. Uh, and they said, hovering, uh, they get too close, and the child really wants some breathing room. When joining, you don't have to get in your child's face. Remember that the part of the reason your child is, is mean in the first place is to tune out everyone who is in their face. You want to give your child some space. If your child is sitting down, then by all means sit down, but don't sit down an inch away from where he or she is. If you're sitting, one second here, yeah, if you're sitting, then that possibly. I got oh, yes. Oh, here we go. If your child is sitting or pacing, then stand and pace, but don't stand or pace right beside them. Then you'll be getting too close. And that was one of the things that we talked about earlier. I got so many notes here about other stuff uh, that I've been trying to put this put this show together. And I got about two different notepads and I was reading from the wrong notepad. But anyway, that was that was the one for this week. It would be it was about be hovering and uh. If you will send me uh, a self-addressed stamped envelope, I will send you all this information or you can go to yourself. Uh, it's called the Sunrise Program uh, and you can type in the seven no-no's of joining and you can have and you can see exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Um Again, this information, like I said, I have not, I have, I, I read stuff and then I incorporate my own life experiences with Xavier because like I say is 25 years old. And so I've got 25 years of experience uh, with autism, you know, in 23, if you want to be technical, cause he was diagnosed with autism at 22. I'm at not 20. He was diagnosed with autism at two. And of course now he's 26 years old. So basically that's 24 years old. And before I end this broadcast, uh, there was something that I wanted to do that was uh, just a little bit different. Uh, But it was something that I really felt needed uh, to be done, to be said at this time of the year, Uh, this being Christmas. And a lot of the commercialism and things of that nature, the real reason for the season, as people like to say, uh, gets lost in the shuffle. And... uh, there's some things that have been going on here recently uh, that changes people's, pers- the people's perspectives have changed on some certain things. And, and, and it's one of the things that, that really uh, bothered me was um, a couple of things that came across in conversation and in reading uh, that there was this uproar about uh, animation cartoon that I've been looking at since I was I, at least eight years old. And it was called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And somehow or another, in this politically correct uh, environment that we've come to, over oh, politically correct, if you ask me, but it became, a, said that that was an example of bullying, you know, because all all of the reindeers were, you know, picking at Rudolph because he had a red nose. And, and uh, you know, they looked at that as bullying because it made, you know, Rudolph feel bad and, and things of that nature. But that wasn't, when I was eight, that wasn't the, message that that, uh, animation was trying to send the message that that animation was trying to send was you're different because you're special, you're special because you're different. And there's no way to get around that because, you know, had root Ru- and Rudolph, even in the cartoon Rudolph tried to hide his nose, you know, to be accepted like everybody else, but it didn't work out because at the end of the day, he simply wasn't like everybody else. And he wasn't like everybody else for a reason. I didn't see anything. I never grew up thinking, you know, well, they were just bullying him. I looked at it and seen that at the end, Rudolph found his destiny. And his destiny was to lead Santa's reindeer. All of the ones that, that, that laughed at him, you know, they were behind him. Rudolph was in the front because he he really stayed true to who he was. That is what I got. out of. I did not get bullying out of that. And another thing, uh, and it was possibly for older people. Uh, There's a song that was uh, famous by Dean Martin, and it was called uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside. And all of a sudden, in this politically correct atmosphere that we live in now, that song was looked at as, you know, something for date rape because of a line in the song. You know, one of the sub lines in the song, the lady says, what did you put in this drink? But, But that was probably one of the most classiest songs back then. But in this politically correct era. They turned it into something that it wasn't meant for. And don't get me wrong, political correctness had its place and its intent was good. But somehow another, like anything else, uh, it gets to be too much. If left unguarded, it gets to be too much, you know, too much of anything. You know, you can be too nice. You can be too mean. You can be too, too much of anything, and, you know, in some regard or another. And one of the things that I think that they fail to see the people of that of this era, you know, with all their political correctness, like I said, the the initial intent was probably good, but it's turned into something that that's polarizing. Uh, it's not uh, helping. I, I don't think it's in the intended format that it was supposed to be for. I, th- I don't think it's that because now it's turned into like they try to tell you what you can think. They try to tell you what this means. They try to tell you what that means. Even though you, you, you are as a human being, have your own way of forming your own opinion because someone else or a group of someone else doesn't like it, they start to say that you'll see it this way. But if a group of people see it another way, then quite naturally what they'll say is, you know, this is something wrong. This should be banned. And they tell you what's good for you and what's bad for you when you have the, the perfectly capable of making up your own mind. And that and that's kind of bothers me because now you want to take away imagination. Now you want to take away hope. Now you want to take away dreams. If I'm not dreaming the way you think I should dream, you want to take away my hope. If I'm hoping the way you think I should be hope. Now you're trying to take away my faith if I don't believe the way you believe. and And this is not this is a, a very slippery slope that we're going down you know with the seri- with the things that are going on in this country and the relationship, strained relationships between people man women black white uh race all this stuff you know w- when you we were told we can't do something because somebody else thinks something is wrong is it, 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 and we're not able to think for ourselves we we're missing out on a whole lot because the ability to dream The ability to hope, you know, the ability to have faith. All these things are tied to an imagination, to a healthy imagination. Because when I was a kid, I used to, you know, I was very big into the superheroes because they were the ones that saved the day. They were the ones that came and made everything okay, They were the ones that came in and and turned a bad situation into good. And And I gravitated to that. I was a huge Batman, Superman fan because they did this, you know. And I thought, you know, that's the way the world should be. You know, we should always have our superheroes. We should always have something that we can believe in that will make us better than what we are, that, better than, that make us believe that we can be the best that we can be. And we should always be allowed to believe in whatever it is that makes us the best that we can be for everybody. And when I got to thinking about this, uh, I just got to thinking about, Uh, a poem that I read. Well, not a poem. It was an editorial I read when I was 14 years old. And some of you may remember this. Uh, It was called Yes, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus. And it was about an eight-year-old girl. And this actually happened. This is a a real letter. It's not fiction. It's a real letter. She wrote this to this editor. The editor, he was the editor of the New York Sun, which is a uh, newspaper. was back in uh, 1897, Mm -hmm. I think it was. And the the editor's name was Francis B. Church. And she wrote to him, and, you know, because, you know, Virginia was around some kids that were skeptical. You know, somebody had told, you know, there's no such thing as Santa Claus. And, you know, told her she was, you know, stupid for believing. I'm paraphrasing, of course. I wasn't born in 1897, so I have no way of knowing. But anyway, uh, so Virginia wrote to the uh, newspaper, to the editor. And back then, and I think some some newspapers still do that now. What they did was, you know, you could write a letter and they would answer it, you know, like they were Santa Claus, you know, for the children. And in this particular letter she wrote, and I'm going to read from it. And it says. I am an eight year old. Some of my friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Signed Virginia O'Hanlon, and that was the letter that the little girl wrote. And I have, and I, and I don't know, but I imagine she never imagined what she got back would mean so much, because this editor took a whole lot of time and put this thing so perfectly. And again, this was back in 1897. We're talking 121 years ago, and it still holds true to today, especially in this political correctness you know, that we're living in right now and how hard this is. And this was his response. Virginia, your little friends were wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except that they see. They think that there nothing can be, which is not comprehensible by their little minds, all minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's or little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect, a uh, intellect to comprehend the boundaries, world by, by measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give you life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary the world would be if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith, then no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We would have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The external light in which child, childhood feels this world would be extinguished. Not believing in Santa Claus, you might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch all the chimney all night long on Christmas Eve to watch Santa Claus. But if you did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus. But this is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in this world are those that neither child nor man can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not. But that is no proof that they are not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders there are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart a baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside. There is a veil covering the unseen world, which not the strongest man, nor even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view pictures with the supernatural beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia, in all this world, there's nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus. Thank God he lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, 10,000, 10 times 10,000 years from now, he will continue to make glad the hearts of all children. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that's you can go print that out. It's called Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And and like I say, if you read that and you understand the importance of future, you understand the importance of faith, you understand the importance of being able to dream, the ability to be and say and do whatever it can whatever your heart can imagine and to have that and not to have that garment not to have that you know chain down is so important in the upbringing and being whatever it is this world has for you has for you to offer and i'm going to get ready to sign off now but before i do i'd like to send a shout out uh to a good friend of mine that i met uh, her name is teddy she works at uh godaddy.com she really gave me some good business information on about about the website and building the business for the hope for Xavier foundation. And I told her that I would give a shout out on this podcast and I am doing so also at the end, uh, coming up in the second week in January, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. I will be doing a different podcast from this one and it will be called it's a wrap with my friend, Reginald Rutledge. Again, we it'll be completely different from this format. We'll talk about everything, politics, sports, uh, current events, past history, and things of that nature. And the music that you heard in the intro was uh Kenny G. It was called "Sentimental." I'm a big jazz fan, so if you got anything you want me to say, send, send it to me. And I'd like to give a thanks to the 25 people that I that have been listening to my podcast. And again, this is me signing off, uh, Samuel Hutchins, with the Hope for Xavier Foundation. Uh, until next week, I'll see you then. Thanks a lot.